Greetings, podcast listeners, and welcome to My Shot of Life podcast with your co-hosts, Steven and Victor. So today we got three special guests, part of a local brewery that just started in Raleigh, North Carolina. So we welcome the fun guys brewing to the My Shot of Life podcast. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Thanks for having, having us. For coming out. You know, it's uh, it's been, I'm sure it's been a ride for you guys since, since getting started, and uh, you know, just a brief... Uh, introduction to yourselves uh who are you and where are you from uh i'm carly i'm from pittsburgh uh, i'm nick i'm from uh, york pa okay and i'm the other nick who's <laughs> from rhode island so how should we uh differentiate you two guys like a uh, nick p nick b whatever uh well i go by my nickname franz so franz okay franz do you prefer that yeah actually okay. i do <laughs> all right all right we'll call you franz then nick franz and carly so again, welcome to the podcast. You guys brought some beers for us today to try out. The Sandbox Kid, New England style IPA, 7.2% ABV, so it's a little bit heavy, yeah. which I like. I prefer, actually. Getting a brief whiff of it, it smells great. And since it's getting hot outside, it I mean, it already smells like a refreshing beer, so I'm hoping that's what I'm going to get out of it. Oh, yeah. So without further ado, cheers. cheers. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Salute. All right, very smooth, very smooth, especially for a higher ABV. I was surprised. So, as we start the podcast off, Victor, do you want to say anything? Hi. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Typical Victor. All right. So, guys, first of all, what made you come down to Raleigh? So, really, uh, I like wearing shorts year round, <laughs> and it's hard to do that in Pittsburgh. That's what I hear. Um, and so, you know. Going to school, it's okay, but doing it long term wasn't really going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, we uh, we knew we didn't really want to go anywhere where we had lived. Just the kind of setting in uh, York and uh, Rhode Island really just isn't that great for new businesses. Okay. Pretty high turnover on new businesses, and they don't seem to last as long. And so, kind of between those things, we knew we wanted to go somewhere a little farther south so we could enjoy the weather. And wanted to go somewhere where there was you know decent business and you know we could really kind of fall in love with the environment and really kind of the people and so uh we had a few friends that moved down here and really uh they spoke very highly of it you know and we had seen it you know it's a place like millennials were moving you know Mm -hmm. after college and so we, we we knew it was somewhere that we were interested in and really we took a trip down in late december of 2016 and uh fell in love with it uh moved down January, uh, so about a month later. Uh, we knew we kind of all along wanted to be somewhere in the Carolinas. Asheville was, you know, a little... Getting a little crowded. Yeah, Saturday. I don't want to say played out, but, you know, it, it I think much stiffer yeah. t- competition. It, it was like this very hipster place where it didn't seem too busy. They had nice restaurants. Of course, they had great beer. And then I've seen over the past two or three years, it's gotten a little bit crazy, you know? Um, when New Belgium is there now, and you know Sierra Nevada has been there, and they're they're taking a lot of the market, you know. Wicked, Weed. Wicked Weed's been there for forever, and they just got so bought out by uh, Anheuser Busch. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. Yeah. so yeah, it's I mean it's a competitive market out there, and you guys have come to a, the right place for beer, if I would say so, just because. Yeah. Yeah, and we felt like everyone kind of has their little spot around town, but no one was you know, kind of polar. No one was the wicked weed of Raleigh. You know what I mean? Everyone kind of like, Brewery Bavana does a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, 
they're known kind of for their IPA. Mm. So we really felt like that was kind of like kind of more of our thing. We didn't want to be known for one thing. We love, you know, we love IPAs. We want to start a sour program, you know, we didn't want to kind of get pigeonholed into anything. Like I felt like we would have maybe in other areas, uh, really the Northeast like that, especially, but you know, Asheville again, kind of feels like it, it you know, you've got to find your thing and go with it. And we, we just like to kind of do all different types of things. And, um, so wanted to kind of go somewhere that fit, fit that style. Okay. And, uh, Raleigh felt like that. that. Yeah. Uh, Raleigh really kind of fit that mold. We, you know, we visited, we felt people down here know beer. Like even yeah, if, yeah. even if again, there's not that one place that everyone's like, yes, there, you know, there's no tree house of Raleigh, but there's, you know, you ask five people, you're going to get five answers and they're all going to be good. You can stay there for it's a true. beer or two. That's very true. Um, um, I couldn't, I couldn't find anyone who has the same exact, I guess, beer taste as my, maybe my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, like every, like you're saying, like you talk to different people, you're going to get a different answer because there's so many different breweries and they have their own little niche. Mm-hmm. Um, they can provide different things. Um, I do want, before we start getting too much into the beer, I kind of want to know where you guys, like how you guys all met. Did yeah. you all go to Duquesne together? Mm-hmm. You yeah. And just had a friend group or how had that start so basically uh the, both of them were in phi kappa theta fraternity okay and i was a sweetheart to the fraternity um basically brother, my brother, brother was in it and i okay. became friends with the guys and basically all hung out and they the two of them were best friends for a while and me and nick started dating so i kind of got thrown in the mix <laughs> of it and on top of that just they lived in the same uh, well, we want to call it fraternity house, but uh, house, their yeah. house with their mm-hmm. brothers, and um, that's where they started home brewing okay. and doing their yeah. own recipes at some point. And you know, it wasn't ideal circumstances, but it was just for fun at that point, and that's really where it all began and it developed from there. They were neighbors, well, you know, roommate mm-hmm. next door to each other, and that they kind of just bonded upon that and then you know being friends for a while yeah so this place was like not ideal we were actually didn't have central air so we were using his closet which was kind of like a mutual like the the most stable temperature location we could find in the house it was in the most random location too it was actually right like perpendicular to his uh front door uh, but it was my closet because he had like two or three uh, in his room yeah. so like it was just a really weird design on how it worked out but yeah. uh, as soon as I knew we were really serious about it mm-hmm. I took all like just about everything that I possibly could that would take away from us using that as a fermentation room I took that out of the closet and put it in my room and you know so we could put our little uh, storage bin fill it up with water and stick our beer heater. in there because we used a uh a fish tank heater okay. to regulate the uh the beer temperature uh so during fermentation did that take up? um what like two or three feet probably okay. yeah That's just a little true. like you know moving container uh, you know the little plastic so you weren't putting out much after you were brewing it i guess like how many cans could you get you think <sighs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, we were getting, yeah, I mean, we were getting probably, our first batches batches. were like four or five gallons, Um, and, you know, one of the first beers we did was a uh, fruited stout, actually, and uh, we 
took the five gallons and broke it down to three little ones that we did different stuff on just to kind of that's always been our thing is we like to play you know we like to have a structured base recipe and then say well let's do three individual variations of that and i think it was what like raspberry pineapple and like lime or something weird wasn't it Mm -hmm. yeah i think it was like those three and just like two normal ones and one just like kind of what what if you know and um so that's kind of how we've always you know i used when we were developing recipes we do a five gallon batch of an ipa and split it off into five dry hops see which one we played like best and then we would do a tasting with all of our friends and say which one do you guys like and that's really how you know a few of our recipes developed um i think you do have to take those risks i mean people do drink jalapeno ipas so there's a there's a market out there for anybody you know yeah and that's that's really like our whole thing is we we went with a smaller system so we could do that you know we did Mm -hmm. uh you know one of our first six brews was for the wild card brew off which again is not by any means probably a financially smart thing to do like you want to do like a beer that's going to sell quick Mm -hmm. but we were like that sounds fun we'll take two random ingredients and put our little spin on it and it's turned into a beer that people probably come back the most for like and part of the reason we're doing growler sales coming up is so many people have been like can we take this home like Uh, i really like this and you know it's hard to plan out a can day for all this and uh, and now we have it all kegged off, so even if we wanted to, we couldn't, yeah. but, you know. And which beer was that for the wild? So that's, uh, we called it Texas Fold'em. Uh, the, their theme was, what? Like Casino. Casino, Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. And so uh, then we were given apples and clove, and so my mind went to a beer that I had back in PA. It was a triple aged on uh, like Golden Delicious apples or something, and it, it was amazing. And so... I kind of took a spin on that and did a Belgian strong and fermented it with the French Saison yeast because I knew the French Saison yeast would bring it down in gravity so it wasn't sweet because the apples are just going to bring back this huge sweetness to it. Um, And uh, so we got it nice and dry, added the apples back and uh, some clove at flame out um, and brewed this kind of 9.7% Belgian French Saison kind of I, I didn't even know what style to call it because Just first I was like yeah it's a farmhouse because it definitely has some of the aroma from the you know French Saison mm-hmm. yeast and you know it's kind of like a spice you know it reminds a lot of people have said like a, a Christmas ale mm-hmm. you know and so if we bring it back we might do a variation with cinnamon okay. and you know around Christmas time where a 9.7% beer is a little bit more appropriate and you know it turned out to be one of you know kind of one of those like creative yet fun beers mm-hmm. that you know if you kind of plan it out right it, it'll you know it'll do the things you want with it and um you know if i hadn't added that french saison yeast i think it would have been a little bit sweet and okay you know a little bit hard to tell what's what and um it's just a little bit of experience a little bit of this is what you know i don't want it to be sweet so how do i make sure it's not going to be sweet use okay. uh that french saison yeast it's the uh, 3711 by uh, y yeast just eats a super attenuator it'll eat up anything bone dry um, so when you guys were in, I want to go back a little yeah. bit. When you guys were in uh, Pittsburgh, did you just have you start making batches and then friends start trying it and they're like, you guys need to start making more of this. Like this is good. Or how did how did how did the uh, 
how did you guys develop into actually wanting to move, wanting to set up a brewery and then get this thing started? So it really all started our uh, first semester or senior year. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Nick actually came to me with an idea originally of a uh, farm-to-table local brew, ha- uh, brew pub okay. um, where we would, you know, uh, breweries in Rhode Island, breweries in York, uh, we would bring them into our uh, our store through their kegs and or whatnot and, um, you know, also do that farm-to-table type deal. Uh, but as we actually visited more breweries around there, specifically this one, uh, Brew Gentleman, uh, which is uh, two 23-year-old CMU graduates okay. uh, who, you know, took the brew world by storm <clears throat> by really breaking the the mold of, you know, the 35, 40-year-old brewer um, and just made great beer. And uh, after a few visits and, you know, from there and other breweries, we just, you know, we all looked each other dead in the eyes and, you know, said, why can't we just do this? Let's do it. And so through the support of our families, um, we got a few brew kits, uh, you know, the... Uh, malt the liquid malt oh uh malt yeah, extract yeah sorry extract yeah malt brewing. extract uh we did one or two of, uh, of those and then we uh ordered a mash ton right away and started doing all grain where we could get a little more creative um and we actually uh brewed a uh, belgian stout called bearded lady that we added uh okay. fruit to um and uh and then we also did a focal banger clone um and now the really funny thing with the Belgian style bearded lady is that when we were ready to have people taste it, uh, we opened it and it uh, and it looked like a uh, a locker room of a sports team that just won the championship because it was just everywhere. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> overcarbonated it. Yeah. Dumped and the, the the number one mistake I think home brewers do is they take this. Oh, it's a five gallon batch. I can just pour this whole sugar into it and well no we had split it up into the one gallon batches and so it looked like a murder scene like it it we the first one we opened was a raspberry mm-hmm. of course and that red just shot all over the room and did it uh, affect the flavor at all it, it it the only thing it really affected was we got about maybe a two ounce pour wow. out of a 12 ounce oh, yeah. bottle um <laughs> I, I I couldn't tell you the flavor anymore, but yeah. you know the the funny part of it all was is you know despite it being like a plastic container full of water being controlled by a fish tank heater, beer was good. Like it wasn't focal banger. I'm not gonna act like it was focal banger, but it was like so this is what we can do with the worst setup possible. You know what if we put some money into it? And that was really you know kind of how we saw it from there, and uh, you know really started just developing from there like he said it was all just kind of like out of nowhere you know more or less just trying beer and we probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for two 23 year olds opening a brewery because to me it's one of those you start out cleaning kegs then you go on and you maybe they'll let you in the brew house and see if you don't mess up you know and yeah. kind of move from there but to see these two 23 year olds are like no we we can do this we can make beer in our dorm and you know, and it, it turned out good. Really, kind of spoke to us and made it seem possible um, in an in industry that really kind of was taking off, and it kind of seemed like a little bit of an impossible feat. I think coming out so young uh, and just diving right into the brewing process, was there anything that you kind of figured out along the way? Like, do you really need a college education to to do this did any of your majors play into it chemistry anything along those lines or 
And then uh, on top of that, what actual education went into, you know, becoming a brewmaster? One thing that we've really learned now uh, and why I'd be able to tell you what really goes into it, it's just a bunch of hard work and passion. You know, it's, it's beyond, because there are times where the brewery is going to open up and not make money and the passion is what's going to keep you going and the hard work, you know, hard work pays off. And, you know, there isn't a single day that we aren't working 10, 12 hour days. And it's really nice because we, you know, we get such great uh, feedback from everybody about our beer. It allows us to keep going and uh, pursue our dream and really allow us to uh, see its worth. Mm. And um, we actually don't have, we actually didn't have any formal college background in the uh, industry of brewing. Um, Nick, which he'll talk about uh, right now, uh, really just did it himself uh, originally and then uh, got the passion and really saw that he needed gaps to be closed, so he actually decided to take a course and I'll let him take it from there. Now there are a few like college educations you can get. There's a UC Davis course um, that is focused around that. Um, another local one through tech and something like North Carolina Tech or something like that that offers a brewing course that um, they have a number of local breweries that I think either sponsor it or you know come in and uh, Wake Tech Tech, that's what it is Uh, yeah Wake Tech has a uh, brewing program that um, I know they go into Bond Brothers one day and they talk with Wit who's one of the smartest guys in the beer industry at least uh, he's he's the highest Cicerone level, one of seventy eight people. Um, wow. uh, everyone I know too who says you know we've had a question, they go to him. You know he's kind of this guru of just uh, you know wealth uh, on multiple levels. But um, you know there are classes now, and there's you know different options. There's uh, the Cybel the Institute out of Chicago, which is probably. Uh, I don't want to say the best overall, but probably the best from an, an emergent standpoint. You go up to Chicago for about six months um, and you take classes. I, I don't know how often, but basically there's different, you know, mini courses in there. I believe you are brewing some of the way there, but then you spend another couple months in Germany, which is, again, that's its own experience. Like that, course, that yeah. you know, that, and, and, and you are brewing there, right? Okay. So going over there and, you know, just. Going back to the you know I don't, I don't origins essentially and how they were doing it how they were doing it when you didn't know what was happening you knew if you you know if you were like Cantheon you know you had this process you let it sit out either turned out great or it didn't you probably dumped about fifty percent of what you were getting and um, you know that's how it was but you know uh, to get that experience is probably second to none um, but it's pretty expensive. Starting at thirty thousand dollars for the year, you which is—I'm sure you'd argue it's worth it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> it definitely is. Uh, but there are other options. So the class I took was through the American Brewers Guild. It ties in with drop-in brewing in uh, Middlebury, Vermont, and it is really set up like basically six-month night class, two night classes a week. Okay. So two two out two and a half three-hour videos. Um, by people in the field and then the owner of uh, Drop-In who uh, has brewed all around the world his whole life 
um, and again, just has a wealth of knowledge that he likes to share. And they actually converted one of their rooms into basically a, a teaching area. And yeah. so, uh, you know, you can go in and take this class over six months, and then you go up there for a week. So getting your hands on is really, you you have to do that at some point in time. Mm-hmm. Nice thing about breweries is you go and ask, say, hey, can I like come by for a brew day? Very few people are going to tell you no. You know, maybe they're not going to let you go up on the brew deck and throw in the hops or, you know, look yeah. at the recipe. Yeah. But if you want to come by as they're doing something, they'll, you know, they'll let you watch from afar or, you know... Uh, different breweries will for can runs you know they don't do it very often because of the mobile canners and so you know uh, two of the places you know east end i used to get uh in on can runs and just put pack techs on you know but that you know watching everyone do their thing and why you're weighing out each can you know it's not just uh, oh, well, this one's a little lighter. Why is that? It's, well, there's air in there that you don't want to get out to the mm-hmm. consumer, so you have to, you know, all those little things help out with your long-term process. Would you say that since you guys have moved in and is kind of, <clears throat> sorry, kind of still establishing yourself in the community, has all the other breweries kind of welcomed you in with open arms? Has anyone in particular reached out to you that you want to give a shout-out to, or... Um, really, yeah. there's a, uh, all of them, you know, in some way, if it's even just giving us a follow on Instagram and mm-hmm. likes, you know, or some people have just, you know, come out and said, Hey, we're glad to have you around. You know, if you're ever at wherever, come by and, you know, ask for so-and-so and they'd love to meet you, you know, and, or it's, uh, you know, the other night before a concert, the owners of uh, Fortnite came by and had a pint, you know, and, nice. uh, but you Bond Brothers, you know, they specifically reached out to us. Nickel Point has been... Let us wash kegs there. Yeah, let us wash kegs there. So did Crank Arm, you know, that's... It's said time and time again in this industry how much people, like, kind of look out for each other realistically, but it's, you know, there's no reason why anyone would let us come in and use their keg washer. There's no, like, they don't have to do that, but, you know, everyone's kind enough to say, yeah, we've been there. It sucks, you know, your keg washer is going to break at some point <laughs> yeah. in time, and it sucks to have no way to get your product to the people who want it. And, uh, you know, you need a pound of hops, I'm sure someone eventually will hit us up for that and gladly do that if we have it, you know, and that's mm. that's this industry, you know. Any question we have, you know, people have said, Have you tried contacting New Belgium? And I'm like, They don't have time for that, yeah, but they right, like, yeah. if you if you contact the right people, they'll. You know, they'll send you whatever PowerPoints they give to their people, you know, and that's wow. that's this industry is, you know, unless you're, you know, kind of like the Millers or something like that, you know, you're not, we're not competing with New Belgium. There's no, like, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. no desire to do that. We, you know, and that's, if we make good beer, that means they can drink good beer. And, and you know, yeah, that's, that's how I think this whole industry is, um, you know, unless you're, you say, and Oh yeah, no, we're we're doing what they're doing specifically, but better. Okay, then yeah, no, they're probably not going to be too keen and nice to yeah. you. But if you go ahead and say, hey, like, what are you doing for this? I think you guys are doing this awesome. Like, you know, do you have any tips on that? They'll, they'll probably say, hey, come by for you know beer and we'll talk about it. The case may be. That's definitely the most fascinating thing that I find with like craft brewing, especially in North Carolina. I mean, we saw it a little bit out in Colorado, but when we were out visiting but didn't really you know get in family wise with a lot of the the brewers out there but here in in the raleigh triangle area all over north carolina really 
you see people working together, you see people collaborating in that market, and they come out with some crazy stuff that's, you know, some of the best, it might only be limited release, but it's, you know, tasty as all get out just because, you know, you have two great minds coming together, or three or four, however right. many breweries it is, um, but they're all in it together. And I think uh, one of the aspects of that, and maybe you can speak to it, maybe it's a little controversial, um, is that craft brewers, and you see every time you drive down 40, uh, Red, Oak Red Oak out there has signs about all the legislation that's being passed and paid off by the big, you know, InBev and the, uh, uh, whatever, Modelo, I yeah. guess. The big companies, they're paying lobbyists in D.C. to suppress craft brewery distributions across the United States. So is that something you've run into yet? Is that something, you know, eventually you'll run into where you're going to hit that point where, hey, we can't ship out anymore. Our beer's so popular, but, you know, we can't. Yeah, so I'm starting to read about this more. And, uh, you know, I've even seen recently that there's a push from people not being able to have, you know, I think from these bigger AB and Bev and uh, people like that, that they don't want tap rooms on sites of breweries which is like a hundred percent an attack on all these small breweries because that's yeah. how they're opening you know it's right. it's yeah. the markup you're able to have on this kind of in-house versus distribution you know mm-hmm. we're, now that we're starting to do distribution we see it as a as you know the triangle's big 45 minutes to get across town without traffic certain times mm-hmm. over an hour and a half you can't expect people to do that every week so you know distribution to us just kind of like eventually made we want people in durham to try our beer We'll go to Durham like that's you know that was kind of like that step for us but you know you are seeing these bigger companies you know again and it's like you know the dilly dilly commercial that gets me every time they call it a, a what a honey mead which is like you don't call it a malt beer like it's like you don't call it a grape wine like it's yeah, yeah. like they, they don't even care about like facts or you know they just kind like of the sp- art of it yeah, exactly, and that's like you know to me that like that like what what do they call it like a raspberry spice meat? I'm like yeah. actually sounds good. Like I don't yeah. like I don't know who they like. You're selling me on whatever this other you know random guy's bringing, but you know the local people I think understand this kind of greater like hey it, it takes a struggle. Like you you're not gonna be overnight huge across the country and run into no hiccups like. That's just not, that's not the industry. Like, nothing goes perfect, even for the, you know, I'm sure Miller dumps a batch once in a while. It's probably not very often, but, you know, even even with the most technology, highest payrolls, like, you're, you're not going to, there's certain things that are going to happen. Right. Your keg washer's going to break. You need that buddy to keep you going, or you might piss off a distributor who's like, hey, we can't pick up this week. Why is that? You know, and then they say, well, now you don't get paid this week because we didn't pick up anything. Then you can't pay your other, you know, there's, you know, I think this kind of uh, thought that, oh, yeah, no, everyone sells out of the beer they're making in like a week and they have all this profit and realistically it's, it, it's you know, a slow kind of like, you, you do sit on stuff for a little longer and there is, there's obviously profits and that's why it's, mm-hmm. you know, a, a big business, but, you know, there's also not, you know, not everyone's selling out of the batch they just released yesterday, you know, that next day and, so, you know, you have to plan ahead and these kind of major craft breweries are great because they can send their stuff all across the world and it tastes the same, but that's not, that's not like craft beer. You know, you, you might be able to, you know, 
even something that's well pasteurized and this, that, and the other is not going to be as easy for the little guy to do. You know, for us, we would love to have a great quality control department. We are never going to have as good of one as Miller. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. it, there's no way. Like, it, it's, the number of years they've been doing it, and then that was that was the beer market for so long that, I mean, if you ask me, it's bland. Yeah. I mean, it's light beer. You know, light beer is disgusting to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, you know, you drink Miller High Life or whatever, Miller's got a non-light beer too, I'm sure. But it's it just doesn't have the flavor that I want when I'm drinking a beer. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's what I, when people ask me what's the difference between macro and micros, micro, you're going for flavor. Like, even even if the that flavor is a lack of flavor, that's what you're going for. You're not, like, Miller is carbed higher, so it's kind of like soda. Like, the tingliness on your tongue makes you feel good. It, you know, your thirst is quenched. Mm-hmm. You know, it hits all these things, but it's not flavorful. Like, it's the lack of, like, they... They make it so there's lack of flavor. Well, I get the the funniest questions whenever I go sometimes, and I travel, and uh, I think when we went to Colorado, someone's like, did you go to the Coors plant? And I was like, what what am I going to do there, drink a Coors Light? Like, yeah. like <laughs> there's nothing different there. It's just the same beer. Like, if I'm going to, if I were to go to New Belgium, they would probably have something new or different or unique and have flavorful beers. But, yeah, yeah I'm not going to go to Coors. I'm not going to go to, <laughs> what is that, St. Louis? That's where uh, yeah. Bev is? yeah. I'm not gonna do that. There's just nothing there for me. And so I thought I always thought that was a joke when they asked me. Do a flight of some cores like yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess Bud Light now has Bud Orange, so there's that. Mm. And, and I think Orange. I think all craft breweries respect their like quality control. Like oh yeah, like you yeah, can't you you get a Bud Light anywhere in the world and it's a Bud Light. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a, an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, and they they test it so quickly along the way that if you know, if their little batch of grain isn't right before they use it perfect, they're not going to use it. They, they have that ability. Mm. It's harder for a small craft brewery to do that. But again, that's, that's, that's something that every craft brewery, I think, res- has to have, at least respect. They might not like yeah. how they go about their marketing and all that other kind mm. of stuff and how they actively kind of go against microbreweries, yeah. but, like, they do a great job of I mean I don't know the last time I saw a Bud Light recall you know what I mean like and and all these even craft every every craft brewery maybe not have to do a recall but you're gonna have to dump a batch at some point in time and um, they do it before it gets to even the packaging stage you know and that's that's a lucky thing to be able to do so we'll get into that marketing a little bit here I think uh, starting out it's always the most difficult you know you're opening up and you guys had your your big grand opening event which was I think a success Um, being in attendance seeing all the people food trucks you kind of did it the way you're supposed to do it Um, how did you come up with the idea for the company fun guys brewing who designed the logo Um, you decided on a mushroom obviously fun guys (laughs) uh, get it Um, so so what all went into that so I was really just trying to think of something a little more specific because our original name was really generic and it was life and like it's just too generic and we really wanted to have a logo that really represented beer and as we were getting more experienced in the beer industry uh, sour ales were really coming into play and and that's a a really um, big 
you know, that's where yeast really plays a big effect in the beer. And it was more just thinking about the yeast and how the brewers only really truly, as Nick says uh, all the time because of his education, uh, the the brewer makes the uh, wort, the expensive water, if you will, <laughs> and the yeast creates the beer because it eats all of the sugars. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of thought that it would be a fun way to really um, give yeast, the real beer maker, if you will, mm -hmm. a shout out. And um, with our you know future plans of having a, a sour program and you know our plans to go out into the uh, wilderness and just harvest yeast from wherever we can find it to really bring that terroir to the beer okay. um, is really what brewing is truly about and what we uh, want to achieve as well. Okay. So your ultimate goal would be to have, to be able to grow it, is what you're saying? So, so if I, if I could have a like crystal ball English for whatever, it's, our overall plan is to have a spontaneous fermentation program, you know, the coal ship, the whole nine yards, but I would love to do it with all grown in our backyard. Like we, the, the hops were uh, aged in a barn for seven years. Now, again, a lot of this is, you know, you have to age hops in a barn for seven years. So that alone is going to take seven years to grow yeah. the hops. Again, to get a decent yield might take a few years and to grow the barley is going to take, you know, whatever normal harvest is. And, um, but again, I, I, I feel like that's not unrealistic in today's world. I mean, you see these craft, you know, uh, I guess they're considered craft maltsters, you know, kind of growing up, uh, you know, there's just, I, I know probably three in the Asheville area. That's one of the beautiful things about the craft beer is it allows all these other people to start doing a really cool craft. Um, and malt is just as important, you know, there's no farms, there's no beer. Uh, that's just how it is. Everyone, you know, kind of says that, and that's a reason why so many breweries are interested in protecting the environment. You know, we just had a uh, a fundraising night that we donated to uh, a local. What? What? I'm sorry. What's the group? Uh, North Carolina Conservation Trust. Yeah, because you know we, you know, if we don't have clean water to be able to get good plants, you know, a great, mm -hmm. you know, then then really we're not. We're not gonna be able to make beer anymore, and you know, even if it's not locally, you know, eventually it's gonna spread around, and you know, to do this, you have to have everything from you know, I want from our backyard, and so it's a pipeline goal, but you know, that would be kind of the height of fun guide brewing, in my opinion, to be able to say we got this yeast from the air, it was you know, hundred percent what was in that local, you know, within the twenty four hours it was in the coal ship that's where it got the yeast. The malt, two miles down the road, grown by, you know, John Farmer, you know, whoever it is, but someone who we know where it's, you know, we can see the footprint of what we're doing, not just impacting us, mm -hmm. not just impacting our employees, but our neighbors, you know, and, and the people who, um, you know, make it possible for us to do the things that we like, you know, it's kind of a two-way street with that. And um, I, I, that just to me is the ultimate, like, kind of goal, like, Hey, yeah, no, this beer was made like within not just brewed, but everything was from yeah. a mile, two miles, five miles within here. And that's like, some people are doing that, but, and that's not even like a, like a, a, a gimmicky thing. That's just like, I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. And it's a style that, yeah, it is popular, but again, it's not super profitable. Like 
you, you the day you release it, you're gonna have a big crowd, you're gonna have whatever, but mm-hmm. you know, you dump probably about fifty percent of those barrels because you're going off of what's in the environment. Gotcha. Um and be the be good of breweries. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, all uh, local, just you know, yeah. trying to get back to to, to local farmers, like you said, like the local farmers. Yeah, and it'd, it'd even be like even in my kind of like like I said, crystal ball, like being able to say, hey, like why don't we employ that person? Yeah. You know, like not even like just promise, like oh, we'll buy like a thousand uh, pounds of malt off you every year, like. Be like, hey, we want you to directly work with us to meet our needs, because that's you know, if we end up buying all pilsner malt from them, you know, that's great. But if we could say, hey, let's do some pilsner, and why don't we do something that's a little bit different, you know, I, there's malt is just like very underrated. I want to say like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say underrated, but you know, the nuances that go into you know these malts can really make a beer really cool, and that's like. I feel like with every one of my beers, I try to make one thing kind of the focal. You know, okay. it's either um, for these, it's obviously the hop profile, but mm-hmm. the water chemistry is just as important. Um, but the hops are the focus of the beer. You know, the Hefeweizen, it's kind of the, you know, it's yeast forward mm-hmm. and kind of how unique yeast can be. And then, you know, our uh, stouts, you know, I use a very neutral yeast just to make sure that the malts and the, you know, the things that we want to portray in that are what you get first and not like oh what there's a nice like yes there's a hop quality to it but the malt is what makes the beer unique and you can really do that with so many different malts I mean, we just did a red x smash it's all this like, beautiful red malt but when i went to the uh homebrew supply they're like we've never seen anyone use that and i'm like why that's so cool a red malt like mm. like it's this beautiful red ruby red and it's i've seen it in um does it taste any different? Yeah, it, I mean, it, it doesn't taste like, like I don't know what red would taste like, but yeah, it's like yeah. kind of like a like a, <laughs> I think like a, a what I would imagine a red ale would taste like. Yeah, like exactly, like it's kind of like a Vienna kind of Munich thing going on there with like these like it can be used as a hundred percent of the malt, but it also has these really cool sweet. I don't know. You even kind of described it as chocolatey, like okay. just very like little nuances in it that yeah. like I wanted to be the focal of it. Um, and uh, who was it? Stone did a beer with it a number of years ago, and that was actually kind of how I heard of it. Mm. And it was one of those I was like, "This is red." Like you get some <laughs> ambers, and you're like, "Yeah, okay, it's yeah. red," but it was like red, like amber red. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, "I've got to do something with that." And so I think before we get more into the brewing process, we're gonna take a quick second to transition, do a quick plug. Funguysbrewing.com. That's their website. Check it out. Go visit. They're open Wednesday through Sunday? Yep. Yes. Correct? Mm-hmm. All right. And that's why we're having them over on a uh, Monday night yeah. for recording. Exactly. Uh, so you guys are literally always working. You're yeah. even coming out here on a Monday. Yeah. 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 <laughs> when you're no closed to the public, you're working. Yeah. yeah like, tomorrow's our, like, we have, a, like I said, distribution. We're working on getting samples around to people who ask them. Um, tap line cleaning, you know, everything. And, uh Kind of going back to our website, just something I wanted to add in there. Uh, going back to our homebrew days, there's some really cool breweries who, despite you know having these like really awesome recipes, they're willing to share them. Jester King, uh, out of Texas, they are. If you go onto their website and they have a blog post about how they were even like a little apologetic about not sharing more recently. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And 
they'll you know their yeast is proprietor to them and even how they got it is it would you couldn't replicate it but they tell you how to do a clone of it essentially like it should be bone dry it should be this gravity you know take about this time but you want you need it to get to this gravity to be true to style um and then even you know um who's it is it still water out of uh the uk or no no is it clear water out of the uk i don't know whatever it is they like they tell you their hopping rate they tell you the yeast they oh, use okay. and to me as a home brewer like even if I'm not trying to necessarily clone that yeah. beer, it's so cool to be like, oh, they're using that. So th this is what they're going for with that. And so we're trying to do something with that. We're gonna try to, we're not gonna put a homebrew recipe on it, but we're gonna give you the malts we use, the yeast we use, the hops we use, you know, the kind of specs on it, just cause we think as a homebrewer, it's cool to try to replicate that or even put your own spit on it. You know, and uh, so we're working on revamping our website a little bit to include okay. that. Now, do you guys think it's difficult to replicate the same beer twice with the same flavor? Um, not the same beer by any, like, the same profile, all that. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going, like, if you're talking hop crop to hop crop, no. But the way you can buy hops is I can buy 500 pounds from one person at a time, and we're not going to use that in, like, 20 beers. So we could make it exactly the same and it would taste the same, but scaling up from a homebrew recipe is actually a lot harder than it's, it. Hopping rates, well, hopping I mean, rates are a lot harder. Well, I mean like whenever you're, when you're making a beer, so you made this beautiful New England IPA that we just had. If you're trying to make it over again, is there, you know, maybe you, you cook something longer than you you're supposed to, or like maybe just a few minutes. Does that alter the flavor um, enough? Like just. No, the a few minutes isn't things. going okay. to. I didn't know um, it was something that drastic. Obviously, we don't. Really a few. Do <laughs> so, so certain things most certainly would. So, if if we added the hops at five degrees hotter, it would probably extract probably ten to fifteen different, you know, more IBU. Okay. So definitely in certain circumstances, like if you ferment a beer a degree higher for a day, no, it's probably not going to be different. Okay. If you end up, you know, you I would even say, you know. The batches kind of, you know, even if one's a little bit less, you know, let's say we decide to do a five barrel batch one day, then uh, we, we should be able to get that flavor the same. But that is the biggest kind of thing that we're learning now with these hops is that that becomes an issue. You know, you hear about these breweries that are making the same beers regularly. You know, I'm thinking more namely of Treehouse tree or, you know, these places that they're cranking out not the same beer, but you know, they, they release Julius probably every other week and people are like, oh, I love this batch. And yes, there are different flavors, probably, but, and yeah, in a triangle test, you could tell them apart. But you're talking about just huge volumes, you know, and for, for us, I, I don't think that'll be an issue. Okay. Um, we are still kind of, my only kind of caveat to that is, it like I was saying, it's, Going from homebrew to this, you know, going from two and a half gallons, which is what I was doing probably uh, for the last two years, to what is 217 gallons, you know, that hopping rate is definitely changes. So the allocation you need to put in for each type of beer. Right. And even, you know, there's something apparently with um, surface area. So there's more surface area in these bigger beers. And so the hops are able to you know, get more flavor with less hops. Okay. So, 
you know, that's been a, a I would love to produce the same beer time and time again, but I, the way I've brewed Wicked Fog at home, I think I can make it a little better. You know what I mean? Or yeah. even, even, and even if it's not necessarily, I would say better, more like my home brew is what mm-hmm. I'm going for because I really enjoy this beer. My whole thing is we will never serve a beer that we wouldn't drink. That's, you know, if, uh, we've had, between the three of us, we've had thousands of beers <laughs> and we, we know what we like and if, the three of us, one of us doesn't say, oh, yeah, no, this is good, then probably someone else won't either, yeah. you know, and maybe someone would, but our target audience is people who kind of drink like us, you know, and, um, yeah. And there's always a, a tweaking process, you know, you're, you're seeking perfection all the time, you're right. of, you know, learning, you know, from other breweries or from your own experiments with calculations and weights and, and mm-hmm. temperatures and whatever, changing the brewing process. Um, for one specific beer to brew it over and over and over again. Right. But I think we just cracked another beer, um, Wicked Fog, another New England style IPA from Fun Guys. Uh, this one's 6.2% ABV. So I think what's interesting, we've had Sandbox Kid and Wicked Fog, both of which are New England style IPAs. What goes in, and, and they are different, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, right. Uh, so, so what goes into making the same style with completely different flavor profiles? And even, like, mouthfeel is, is different mm-hmm. too. So, yeah, I mean, there's this really kind of cool, like, yeah, you could, if you're going to tell someone a New England-style IPA, you're going to say probably 20 to 30% flaked. You're going to tell them either some sort of wheat, some sort of oats. But really, I mean... Even the base malt, you know, they all have these differences. And so really, when we're going for a higher ABV, I've started using a little bit more Pilsner. Just It's a little lighter for me. And so that Sandbox kit has the Pilsner. Um, and uh, a decent bit of oats and then a little bit of a honey malt on the back end. Um, and so it's actually probably pretty similar in color to... Uh, Wicked Fog, but Wicked Fog is just Maris Otter and Flaked. So, you know, there's really, what did they say, like a million ways you can skin a cat. You know, you can, there's no wrong, I'm sure there's a wrong way to brew a New England IPA, but really you can go about it so many different ways. Um, And there's so many great malts, like I've said, that really can do these different things. I like a little silkier mouthfeel. So I I think uh, using that little bit of, flaked oats is necessary and that kind of adds to that but I also like malted oats that's something I've kind of seen other breweries starting to do more often um, and experimenting with and so I like that Um, but really we just uh, we we go with certain things that we want to match up and really just going for easy drinking you know if it's 6.2 if it's 9.7 we want it to be easy drinking flavorful something you can have a few of Um, that's kind of what I say about my hef. It's probably drier than normal Hefeweizens, but that's the thing I don't like about Hefeweizens. Some of them are so sweet that I can't have five of them by a pool on an afternoon. Mm. And so I'm, you know, I go a little bit out of style maybe sometimes, but to meet these other, like, criteria I go for. And, uh, honestly, Sandbox Kid was him, Nick, uh, Franz, (laughs) uh, you know, playing with what he likes in a beer. And like I said, even though we've had a lot of the same beers, I don't know the last beer that I had that they didn't have, you know, because we all drink together. But he likes things that I don't like. 
and that's that's the craft beer industry and I can't say I have the best palate certain beers like I, I, I can't get my head around grape in, or like grape juice and beers ooh drink wine <laughs> but but some of some are really great, you know, and and they kind of add this like bridging between two different styles, you know, that are even kind of bringing the wine consumer into it, and yeah. so you know, even if it's something I don't love, I know someone else, one of the three of us does, and I can rely on their wealth of knowledge to say what do they do, and then the knowledge that's on the internet, you know, really I I spend a lot of my day researching things. Yeah. Google, uh, <laughs> and there's so many great, you know, beer-related websites. And that's, I'm sure what makes it better, you've got three different people, three palettes, and I'm sure you have mm-hmm. friends and family who are trying the beer as well throughout the process oh, to, yeah. you know, give their input on what could make it a little bit better here yeah. or, or in whatever, whatever aspect. And I like that you said, you know, you go out of style sometimes, and I think that's I mean, you've mentioned it once already, uh, more of like an experimental brewery, mm-hmm. not in the sense that you're doing anything wild and crazy, but, you know, you're willing to push the boundaries. And is that, would you would you say, like, within the craft industry, you know, that's where you fall in as an experimental brewery. You're going to have your flagship, you know, beers that you'll have, but you're going to keep pushing the envelope everywhere you go. Yeah, and that's what, what we, we have one flagship, Paul Street, named after our location, uh, and it's the one beer that we would want to drink all year. It's a 5.2, mm-hmm. 5.5% uh, pale ale okay. with a, a nice hop profile, a um, little bit of bitterness, a little bit, you know, what we think is kind of like a well-rounded beer. It's mm-hmm. not bitter. It has a bitterness to it is what I like to say, and that's, I hate throwing around these words, hoppy, because, again, when I hear hoppy these days, I don't, I think of this New England-style flavor, but people are like, oh, I don't like bitterness. I'm like, there's like five IBUs. Like yeah, it's yeah. not it's not hoppy, there's but there's so much, so much flavor. disparity. You get an eighty IBU, you know, where you get a, like an imperial or a double IPA, and you're just like, man, this is like completely different than a regular IPA. Like I think, uh, what's the one that has the deer antlers on it? They have a double IPA that I've tried before, and it's one Back, of those things. Devil's I've, Backbone. Devil's Backbone. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I've tried. I took a sip out of that. I was like, I can't drink this. It's too much. <laughs> and I was one. I've been on the IPA bandwagon for you know the past five years, so. I think it's still it's one of those things that I think you you still ease your way into when you start liking heavier and heavier more bitter type beers but yeah and I think um, it's this whole like kind of perceived bitterness like some of our most bitter beers are our stouts like it's like 40 IBUs in our stout there's no bitterness to it at all it, it's yeah. it's all about balance and that's like there's if you do calculated, there's more IBUs probably in our Hefeweizen than there is in our New England IPA but that's it still has a bitterness to it because of just the nature of it. And so it's, you know, everywhere from my my brewing class, like, has pushed away from using IBUs. And, like, if someone asks, I will gladly tell them what either calculated or, you know, assumed IBUs are. Um, But I, like, I, I, on Untapped, I make sure we don't put any because I don't want people saying, Oh, I'm looking for this bitterness. And that's yeah. what, like, when we do a descriptor for something, I want it to be like, you guys get that right. Like, not just me. Mm-hmm. Like, Nick is our resident nose is like I like. Like, he picks up on things at a much lower level than I do. And that's, that's like, the nature of aroma and the body and all this other stuff. But, uh, you know, if there's something, like, if I see an untapped rating that someone says, like, someone recently said diacetyl. So I literally, the second I read that, went out front, poured a beer, 
and uh, put it in the microwave. That's the one way to get it heated up quicker. And, uh, you know, I was looking for that diacetyl. And, you know, I went to both of them and uh, I have smelled diacetyl in other beers. We are pretty good at identifying it in the few occasions that we have, not in any of our brews, but, you know, in other brews, you know, I've said, he, he, he specifically, we were at uh, in Richmond one time in, in the heat and the beer was sitting out and I didn't smell it. And I was like, you know, it, it was like a bunch of weird circumstances around the release of this beer. It's normally a beer that's canned and it wasn't, it was a draft room only. And so I, you know, I said to him, I was like, this is good, but there's something off in it. And he was like, it smells like buttered popcorn. I was like, I don't, I don't smell buttered, pop, buttered popcorn. And then within 20 minutes of sitting outside, I like kind of like took another step. I was like, oh wow, that smells like buttered popcorn. <laughs> and then ever since then, I've like just kind of said like, I want to try it in a little, but you give me your initial response mm-hmm. because he picks it up at a lower level. And so that to me is like one of the good things about Untapped. Like not everyone, you know, I don't take every rating to heart, but it is nice yeah. to say someone got diacetyl. Let's review that. Let's that, make sure on our end we're doing things that's right. That's the Yanny or Laurel of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, Someone's it might... picking up on one of them and you're not... You know, yeah, and it, you know, again, that's something like... We had something our opening day about uh, someone... What was it? A sulfur bomb with our uh, Hoppy Saison. And I, like, I immediately went out, poured one, stepped in the back. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I don't get that. You know, and... and you know, we, you know, we do take every, I don't want to call it complaint, but anything that we see as off, I immediately go and review what mm-hmm. could be the, the issue um, and talk about it with them. And if it's something we don't like, we'll pull it off. Uh, we haven't had to do that yet, luckily. Um, but, you know, it's something we take seriously. I mean, every day I go up front and make sure our glass washer is working right. You know, that's... So you encourage constructive criticism yeah and honestly trying to improve this beer you know to be up there with the highest quality and that's that's the way that we can move forward with making sure our customers get the best beer possible like like i said we're always going to brew somewhat to our palates you know but we stay on by the people who come in and buy a pint you know that's what keeps the lights on as they say and um we have really been well received and so we're lucky with that and um but it's because kind of like he, he said before, like we put in a lot of like, this didn't happen overnight and yes, we're young, yeah. but like this has been well over four years in planning. Like at the end of it, it started out in 2014 and it's 2018. The homebrew batches initially were not like, hey, we want to make this into a professional beer one day. But like, it, it's one of those things that like, you just get addicted to it so fast. It's like, I always kind of say, I feel like a magician. Like, I just, like, do these, like, various, or like an alchemist, like, put these various things together, and on the other end comes out this awesome beer. Like, this thing that a lot of people will enjoy, and, you know, it brings people together, and that's, like, a, like, unique experience that I feel like is part of the reason we keep coming back to it. And I can, and I can see that. I mean, to produce something that people want to enjoy you know gives you joy in doing that you know like you said bringing people together in communion and just like having that is 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 great it's a great feeling to do that just like a, a comedian would go up and tell a joke and if people are laughing at it they're getting some like maybe some validation but then they're mm-hmm. also making people enjoy the experience so right and that's like that's everyone's goal like it's just yeah, to make good is. beer and that's why i think all the, everyone like is willing to help each other out is they're like 
I can only make the beers that make sense to us. Like it, right. Barrel Culture started doing something that was completely out of their niche. Like I'm still gonna drink it, but that might turn away some of their people, like some of their customers who are like, no, we we come here for this. You know what I mean? And um, I think everyone should venture into any style they want. I'm not by any means knocking any of that, but there is something to like sticking into what keeps you guys going. Like we're always gonna take a little adventures down different paths like maybe I'll be like like in the middle of this last polish tree I was just kind of like what if we double dry hop it with Vic Secret that wasn't planned that's just something like we just kind of are like let's do something different with this and we we had the resources to do that but it's not for the faint of heart I'll say especially like we went with a seven barrel brew house so we could do that it's hard to do that at 30 barrels or 60 kegs and you have distributors that are doing or waiting for this product that you know, they have set up for this market and um yeah it's it's just you know it's hard to kind of stay on these paths but you know that's what's nice about the craft beer industry is as long as you're making good beer most people aren't going to complain you know it's, it's, it's good beer is good beer um all right so uh, brewing's a long process do you guys have any certain rituals that you do when you're brewing do you have any uh anything that you abide by any rules of the brew room or <sighs> Drink beer. No. <laughs> so, uh, one thing that he actually does, um, and I actually never really considered a ritual, but, you know, uh, it is something that's really fun. Uh, whenever uh, we're ready to mash in and uh, get the grains uh, through the auger, he always says, are you ready for that? <laughs> and Y'all ready for this? Yeah, y'all ready like... for this? And then, you know, we all chime in and, and say that, but... Uh, uh, um, we really try to keep, uh, we do sometimes have music playing in the background, but uh, it's better to really keep it uh, as low and mellow as possible so that if, uh, you know, during the brew process or even while we're just brewing and, you know, one of our beers in the fermenters, if something like breaks, we can actually hear it and <laughs> be able to react rather than, you know, jamming out and kind of being in our own world and, you know, there's five barrels of beer on the floor. Um, but, uh you know, sometimes we've, uh, especially, uh, you know, when the Bruins, because I'm actually from Rhode Island, so I'm a New England sports fan, uh, and the Celtics were in the playoffs, and when the uh, Penguins were in the playoffs as well, uh, we would have the games on, but it really wasn't too big. It wasn't really, you know, but it did become a pretty big part of what we were doing to kind of just distract, not really distract ourselves, but keep ourselves entertained and kind of remind us that, you know, this is for fun, even when there is things that go wrong. And, uh, it just, you know, it really lifts the, uh, morality. Yeah. Morale of the business and just kind of, you know, like, uh, yeah. And I mean, it it just really, uh, allows us to get really excited about the brew process. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping it light, honestly, like, it's probably the most concentrated I am like going into the brew I look over the recipe a bunch of times but like once we get to there like that's the point where like stuff matters like if little things are off like that's when it matters and that's where we're gonna find out about it but like we've had so many things go wrong like just (laughs) along the way that it's like eventually you have to find a way to just laugh about it like it's the fun guys laugh yeah like (laughs) like we, we joke like like our beers turn out good but like there's so many little things that's like that's terrible luck isn't it like (laughs) for that to happen to us but like like we're about to start a beer like that's something like not very many like yes there's a lot of breweries but not very many people are going into every day like 
this is a fun activity. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, I'm sure people enjoy it, but some people are like, we've got to brew this beer to make money, like to stay open. And yeah. for us, it's like, we get to do our hobby for a living every day. So this is like, cool. Like, we're, we're like, well, if anything, there's a ritual, it's like jokes. Like, yeah. Like, just like something Keeping from Family fun. Guy. Or now, the, from the, the biggest thing for me that would be an issue working in a brewery would be how much beer can I drink on a day-to-day <laughs> basis? <laughs> so, my question to you guys is, how much do you allot yourself on a day? Or do you try not to drink at all and then just wait for like a certain day to drink? I'm sure you try to taste it as as it's in the process to make sure that yeah. It's... So on on like the quality control and uh, beers that are fermenting, we taste every day. We're tasting it though. We're not like chucking a glass of it. Like... <laughs> and I will say, if you need tasters to come by, your yeah, <laughs> exactly. Let us know. We know people. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Like we 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 taste stuff along the way. Um, but like I get like an eight ounce sample out of a glass, and probably seven of that's going into the hydrometer you know what i mean so it's not but like i've honestly like there are days i'm like it's so hot i need a beer you know yeah. i'll do that but honestly like most of the time we're like busy enough where we're like we know we have to go out on the road for an hour and so we're like okay we don't want to drink that but or two but, of us hanging out in the tap room you don't want to be one of us hanging out at the bar drinking then somebody else <laughs> so. needs help behind bar and then you are visibly caught drinking and yeah you're not supposed like to it. do that yeah, yeah. so yeah, maybe like one day where someone knows yeah. they're not going to be doing something, we'll have a pint. But honestly, like we end up just going home and drinking, really. That's that's one of the beautiful things about owning your own brewery. We don't do growler fills yet, but we're not selling it to ourselves. So we don't have to put a growler tag on it. And we have, you know, a bunch of cans. And so we're able to take that home. Really, we, we, we like trying different stuff. So, you know, we have beers from other breweries all the time. And, uh, Really, the more beers we try, it just gives us more ideas. Like, that's, like, even if we don't love something about it, like, every brewery, I feel like, releases something that there is something you like. Like, there's no one just releasing bad beer because they don't have an option. You know, there probably yeah. are. They're going but, for something. Out of yeah, the there's something they like about it. For, for, right. You know, and, and yeah, so there's something they like about it, and I try to find that and learn something from it. But really, at work, I mean, maybe a beer or two. But you end up drinking beer so much like you think the tasters are not a big deal but then you're trying you know eight beers a day and then you know after a tap line cleaning i try every beer that we have on tap so that's another nine and so you know it does kind of end up being like all right i've already had a beer by noon you know what i mean and so you not saying you have to like check yourself but like you're, it's actually a very rare occasion that I say, like, I could really use a beer. Like, it's like, I'm like, all right, we're home now. Let's have a beer. Like, it's, and, like, some days, though, the half is that for me. Like, I'm like, I just need a half. Like, it is, the issue is our warehouse is not air conditioned, so it gets hot. And so that's, like, the only occasion, really, that, like, brings that up. But, I mean, and maybe these guys can speak to it, but we, we, we don't, I, I think, have, like, an issue where we're like, how did we go through that keck so quick? Like, yeah. But. So I think we're going to change the style a little bit here. Um, speaking of styles, we're going to go into our versus segment. and then Versus. And then we're going to finish with more of like a kind of a heartfelt, uh, you know, little passion project, I guess, Very at the dirty. end. Yeah, like <laughs> really get in, you know, tear at the heartstrings. And, and then we'll uh, 
take care of uh, everything else from there. So we'll get into the verses, which we discussed a little bit off air. Um, just going into your favorite style of beer. We'll go, I mean, for us, we're just going to say what we like to drink uh, and, and why. But you guys, you know, you have the, the aspect of you brewing the beer. What's your favorite style to brew? I know some of them you may not like from a taste standpoint, but they're complex and difficult to brew. So you like the challenge, uh, something like that. And then also, you know, what you just like to kick back and drink and go from there. So... Start yeah, on. so it's funny, like, I, I think my favorite beers to brew are not the less complicated ones, but the ones that are, like, kind of newer style, so, like, we don't do a, that mash, like, we do a mash in and a mash out for our IPAs, but, like, the Hef was probably the hardest beer for me to brew, but it's also probably one of the more subtle ones, the lighter drinking, and so, like, that was, like, a six-hour step, you know it was you know 60 percent wheat and at my homebrew i could pull pour over four gallons onto it and it would raise the grain bed this i'm got 450 pounds that i'm trying to mash around and i thought i was going to break our mash paddle and you know so it's funny that these different beers that you know the easier ones are like the easy brew day for me the less strenuous but they're probably like still one of the more fun ones like you know i love there's nothing better than throwing in a couple 20, 30 pounds of hops, you know, there's that, that's like a cool experience that like just, it makes the place smell awesome. And, but it's also not like a challenging brew day for me, mm. you know, which is like kind of nice, but at the same time, like I like nuance. So, you know, if I was going to take a stand, I'd, I'd almost, you know, we're, we're going to start getting into lagers here. And, uh, to me, that's like the most challenging beer to make. And probably someone would argue that's the easiest, you know, you don't, you're not going for flavor, you're going for subtle nuance. But for me, that's like, for me, like, I want a hot punch. Like, I, I want you to be like, yeah, I see where you get the hot flavor out of that. And that takes, that definitely takes a skill. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But. And I think we had a beer on the, on the podcast one day where it was an IPA and you couldn't taste the hoppiness of it. And I, and that frustrated me because that's what I like. I don't care you know, if, if it's too smooth, then it's not an mm -hmm. IPA to me, you know, it, it's got to have a little bit of kick to it. Yeah. Um, and I think that, again, whenever I was comparing it to double IPAs, it's just whenever you get so used to it, you kind of want that flavor in there. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's, they're breweries that, uh, they brew lagers because they like them. And that's like, that's kind of like where we are. Like, I, I want to be at that position. But I, I would never want to be an all lager brewery. Just because I feel like that's such a... The people who do it, they kick ass at it. and But, like, it, it to me, like, pigeonholes what I can do. I would really like to be an all IPA brewery. Maybe in a vacuum. But, like, I just love too many styles. Like, it, it would just be too hard for me. So, like, if I was going to defend anything, I'd, I'd defend a really great Helles lager over anything. I mean, I've had amazing IPAs things that just have these flavor profiles that you can't imagine but it's also like hard to drink eight of them you know what I mean and and, and to me <laughs> that right. is such that's such a that's such a hard like thing to do is make a great session and like two percent of a malt in a session beer is like you're gonna taste the difference in it you're probably gonna taste it in an IPA a little bit you'll be able to like in a triangle test pick one out but like a great hell is lager is just like wow like the, 
you get these little things like and that's like the like the love for sour to me too is like nuance versus bold like holy crap i cracked the can and the guy across the brewery can smell the citra you like oh wow you and like there are times like that like when we were doing home brews uh, like our guys would come come into construction like oh wow what do you have there and like i literally had like a sample in a glass and like that's cool mm-hmm. but to be like right up on something to be like oh wow this is like a little bit of the size you know spiciness and a little bit of the tet and you know noble character and that's i, I would say that's kind of like this like argument in brewing a little bit now is like do you want a bold flavor like do you want the most flavor you could possibly get out of something or do you want something that's very like nuanced and very like subtle differences between things and you know I think there are people that would argue like don't you want big flavor isn't that what you want and yes I I think I even kind of said that earlier is like that's the difference is like flavor versus non-flavor but like if you're going for non-flavor and you knock it out of the park mm-hmm. isn't that like pretty cool too like we, we just had a numb by the veil and it's like an american light lager and that's like that's why they call it numb it's not supposed to be flavorful like there are nuances to it which i like and like keeps you like like oh wow that smells good like i like this i like that but to really jump into a full-on style and dedicate yourself to that i don't think is something we'd ever do but um you know I'm sure someone could argue for that too um just not my style but you know uh if one of them said we need to do a lot more lagers i don't think i'd be telling them no you know i I'd, I'd i'd be cool with that and you know if the tank space allows and that kind of stuff but um yeah to get into kind of your defend thing i i uh i think i could defend nuance you know it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things that like that I feel like is again how you can reach more people. You know, it's going to be hard to get an, a real wine drinker to love a double IPA, but if you can give them a really yeah. nice, nuanced sour, like they're gonna. And I was listening to a podcast earlier, and that's kind of like certain breweries. They say their cheater way of getting to people to get people to like their stuff is they use these wine terms because it's been around for years, and you know these subtleties, and, and I don't. I drink wine and I'm like, yeah, I could drink a little bit of that. Or, but people can tell you what valley a grape or a wine was grown in, and to that, that's mind-boggling to me, yeah. you know. But that's that's like the whole wine thing is like they want that little nuance to be from the grape and from everything. I guess you could do that with certain hops too, right? Like you could taste yeah. the hop, and you could probably. I mean, I imagine if you've had enough beer, you could probably indicate where it's from or what type of hop it is. In all Citra IPA, I think most people could pick out of a crowd. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a great hop. We use it a lot. I'm not going to knock it at all. But, like, a straight Citra has, like, this really, I feel like, out of a crowd you could pick. Yeah, that's the solo one. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's almost, you know, to me, I like, you even throw in, like, 10% of something else. That's cool to me, and I okay yeah, I get the big citra but there's like this little bit of something in there that like I could see the difference between that and all citra okay. so Franz what do you think what's your favorite beer uh, so favorite style of beer well actually like even going back to what he was saying with uh, favorite beer to brew um, I would actually go more and say brewed uh, just because uh even though we may end up doing a few other um, continuations and variations of the uh, Ratchet Snacks collaboration 
that was probably my favorite beer that we've brewed so far because it was with all these different adjuncts um and you know it's kind of playing into what he was saying uh, instead of the nuance more bold and uh we were really going um you know we put 20 dozen uh <laughs> devil food cake donuts into the mash okay and uh then we added marshmallow fluff into the boil with uh, lactose as well and then we aged it on coffee beans and just the work that we had to put into it just the same as he was saying with the hefeweizen uh you know it took us six or seven hours as well to get the runoff on there and and the uh you know the grain out for the for that beer was really intense because the donut pieces was just like really gelatinized the entire malt so it just was really sticky and and you know when and then when you take a sip out of it you're like wow you know and and all and it goes really back to that whole hard work thing where you know we put in all that work for it and made a really good beer and and that's really the whole essence of you know doing what you love and and chasing your dreams and so that's really the yeah really just the epitome of all that and why we're here really and uh as far as drinking goes uh i've really really uh started to really like barrel aged stouts um i never really was a huge person that liked really anything that had especially in beer really strong alcohol notes to it but just the but just how the execution really of uh a lot of the good um barrel-aged stouts that I've had it's just so budgy and earthy and just really a just really like an incredible experience really and you add extra adjuncts such as like a little bit of vanilla or cocoa nibs and it just adds a whole nother layer to a flavor and that's really you know what I really like and you know that whole different complexity rather than just one big flavor uh you know um we were actually when we tasted our uh our double ipa for instance uh we had one flavor profile uh within like the first five minutes of the of the beer being poured and then about 10 15 minutes after we let it sit it had a whole other layer of flavor and that's really for me what keeps me drinking the beer and instead of saying ah oh, this you know it's you know it was great the first couple sips but now it's kind of fallen off and you know there's really no better uh like common experience of that than a barrel aged stout where you know you taste the the oakiness of it really intensely first and then uh you know you let it warm up a bit and then it just has this really nice mellow flavor of vanilla coming through and and you know that that's what helps you finish your beer and order another one you know that's, and yeah. that's that's really... throwing it away whenever it gets warm you know mm -hmm. and I wonder, that's a good point that you brought up whenever a beer gets warmer, because I felt like whenever the uh, New England IPA, this one right here, the uh, Wicked Fog, when it got a little bit warmer, mm -hmm. I actually liked it more. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, going back, we just carbonated a double IPA with all new uh, New Zealand and Australian hops, and when we poured it right out of the tank at like 36 degrees or whatever, it was like super limey and piney and uh. like like neat but then as it warmed up a few degrees i mean this pineapple just opened up oh really yeah and it was cool because like it's the same beer like you know 
It's not yeah. like a week older or anything like that. Just like warming up from 36 to probably 50 degrees, open up this whole new kind of layer mm-hmm. to it. And to me, that's like the cool pint, the cool part of drinking like a pint is if, you know, you take a sip, you're like, oh, this is good. Go back for another. But then, you know, you let it sit there and warm up a little and you're like, wow, this really kind of, you know, it's like going into a house that you find like a whole other kind of area to it. It's like, yeah. wow, look at how much more there is to this. And that's what, you know, these kind of more subtle styles, I think, again, kind of going back to that, do, um, as, as they allow you to catch on to something that you like and then move out from there. You know, say, oh, wow, well, look, at, look at this. And that's yeah. might be a dumb question, but is it possible to let the beer heat up, I don't know, like in the tank, and then cool it back down, mm. and then the, the flavor might be released then? Um, or does it get suppressed again back at the cooler? Yeah, so I, I think it's more of a, like... If you look at serving temperatures, they're probably closer to the 40s, 45, maybe 50 is the ideal temperature. And so what, you know, I'll see, what I'm sure people call the beer snobs doing is they'll go around and they'll put their hands around a cup and they let it like kind of warm up just by that. And, you know, uh, we were just over at Barrel Culture and, you know, someone that we were meeting up with even kind of said that. He was like, I wasn't a huge fan of this cold, but when I warmed up, like I, like one of the better beers I had by them and... That, that to me is like something kind of neat. We haven't played into as much like we think at 45 degrees this beer is perfect, you know, or whatever. But there definitely is something to that. Like at warmer temperatures we get this. Um, specifically, um, Ratchet Snacks, uh, the coffee we used has this like really nice toasted almond kind of rounded flavor as it warms up. And to me, that's one of the better qualities of it. Is like this really kind of nuanced toasted almond that I like to it, and so I like when it warms up a little. Um, I don't like it when it's sixty degrees. That's not a good beer, but um, you know, it, it raising that temperature up would just get suppressed again once you brought it back down. Um, unfortunately, there's no way of doing that. Uh, but most people, you know, if we had a little bit better setup, maybe we could set the uh, walk in a little colder or a little warmer to make sure that it, when it's poured, it's at a certain temperature. We like to keep the beer cold when it's served, and then, you know, if you want to let it warm up, that's fine. But, um, you know, we, we serve it at 36 degrees. Kegerators, I don't even know what those, the bigger ones are called, but um, they're set to 36 degrees, so that way they stay nice and cold. The beer doesn't change on us too much, but, you know, it's refreshing, all that good stuff. And Carly, favorite style? Uh, my favorite style, I would probably say is sours, just because realistically it's not just Gosa's. You could go with IPA, you could go with Saison, even could go as far as I've had sour stouts before. Um, but my only dig with it is I can't get over the acidity, and some people don't really like nail that in. So even though it could be really awesome sour, you could have one of it and be done, and like, you go take my heartburn pill. But. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. But honestly, that's just my favorite style because there's so many crazy ways that people do it. It could be fruited, it could be dry, it could be anything that the brewery really makes it to be. And I've just had so many awesome sours in my day that are just refreshing and overall just so many great different flavor profiles that you get from all over the map. I mean, like you said, we've had over thousands of beers and... A lot of them being sours and that like farmhouse style and stuff like that and I just really find myself falling in love with sours 
when it comes to beers that we brewed, I'm with Franz on this one. I think that, you know, Ratchet Snacks was our hardest beer to brew to date. Uh, it took us about two days to clean up after that. Our floors <laughs> were stained brown and, uh, you know, it was really pain in the butt, but just seeing how much people love it is really rewarding knowing, hey, it did take us two days to clean this <laughs> up. And it was a almost 14-hour brew day when we thought it would be nine hours or whatever but just knowing how much hard work goes into it is really rewarding and that really goes back to all of our beers but mainly that one because that one took a really really long time yeah so for the bottom of this we put no donuts in the mash (laughs) so that was something i wrote down on the recipe was just like Right after getting done that, I was like, that needs to be remembered. Like, <laughs> never and, and, never and, again. <laughs> yeah, and again, like, will we do it eventually? I'm sure I'll eventually, like, psych myself up to be like, we can do it better. We can, it's still going to be a mess to clean up, but, like, I'll, I'll want to do it. And so, yeah. or, you know, someone will push us to enough. And, uh, but, like, that goes back to, like, kind of having the fun with it. Like, yeah, that was one of our hardest beers. Are we going to brew it every week? No. But, like that's not going to stop us from having fun with it and like I don't know just no donuts in the mash is just such as like in, in a vacuum ser- such serious, a, yeah exactly it's such a it's, yeah it's it's on this like thing that we want to learn from in the future yeah and but like it's here. it's it's fun and you know not until yeah. we hire somebody somebody <laughs> else to clean it up for us um, so Vic um after Carly said that I immediately thought about your go say crush Mm-hmm. And uh, we had an Anderson Valley beer not too long ago, and it was called the the Kimmy, the Yink, and the Holy Gose, which <laughs> tastes exactly like you're drinking communion. Like really? At, at, yeah, <laughs> like you're at church drinking the you know the grape juice. Um, so Vic, is that your favorite Gose? I'm I'm in the sour realm. I think uh, we were out in Colorado, went to a big beer festival, and I had a Berliner Weiss out there that uh, they put some sort of like a, a syrup in the glass before they poured the beer. Oh, like a simple and syrup. And so you could get like three or four different flavors of the Berliner Weiss, and that kind of turned me on to that kind of like salted sour beer kind of mm-hmm. uh, mix. And so ever since then, it's been been a lot of ghosts. Yeah. Um, every time we go to places around, I know Sierra Nevada does their brew camp or beer right. camp. Yeah. Um, they had it uh, part of it in downtown Raleigh last year. And I had like a pickle juice gosa and like <laughs> cucumber, strawberry, watermelon, you name it. They yeah. have, you know, a flavored gosa out there. And so that's that's kind of where I'm at now. I do like IPAs as well. Um, but gosas, that's where my, my heart is. So. And I guess I'd have to go with American IPAs if I were to be really specific. Um, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's really any IPA. Yeah. You know, like I said, d- doubles, Imperials, still working on that, getting, getting, uh, being able to tolerate that. Um, but something about just like it's, it's a little bit smoother. It's not too much as like a, as a pale ale might be, or as thick as uh, some beers are. So it's, it's really refreshing, refreshing, and you know, a little sweet, and it's just, it just goes down so smooth. It's really stuck between that and session IPAs because sessions mm-hmm. are. Like, you know, when it's a hot day outside, sessions are a go-to, you know. And they're really low ABV, so you could drink, you know, four or five of them. And I find myself making more of those, you know, something like 84% of people know what they want to drink based on season. And then, like, 75% know uh, what 
the style they're getting before they go in. Mm-hmm. Those two might be flipped on the percentages. But either way, yeah. a large percentage of people are buying off of these kind of... Uh, outside of that brewery-specific, you know, they're buying on season and what they want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, we end up making these sessions because that's, you know... It's hard to drink a few beers at a brewery that are 7% and, you know, have everyone be able to drink that. You know, one person's going to be able to drink one and then everyone else is going to be sloshed after that. And <laughs> it's nice to be able to be like, hey, I want to try three different beers. We offer 10-ounce pours. So you can do three, four pours of a 10-ounce beer that's 4%. You know, that's not it's not going to send you, you know, home in an Uber. So you can... You know, that's one of my favorite things to do with that is, again, the nuance plays into it a little bit more, too, because there's not, like, this higher alcohol to hide this beer under or, you know, you really have to, you know, every percentage of malt matters in those. and So they're fun to make. You know, you again, you know that people can have a few of them. And for me, I think about the pool beers. You know, that's, mm-hmm. like, half set for me. Um, we're going to be brewing up a session IPA here in the next few weeks that, again, is kind of just more geared to the environment you know we we love ipas we love being able to sit by a pool we do like more flavor but it's also not you know gonna have quite the same bitterness that probably our new england's have or you know and even that's probably no bitterness uh so i guess transitioning out of verses we're gonna hit hit the uh listeners right in the heart right in the feels as the millennials say (laughs) and try and get them uh out there and you know, tasting different beers or, or uh, enjoying themselves out on a Friday, Saturday, I guess Wednesday through Sunday uh, in this case. But uh, we want a couple like one-line answers, I guess, as mm-hmm. far as, you know, have you reached out to anyone about collaborations? Is there a dream collaboration, you know, with a local craft brewer in the area that you want to do? Or like someone who provides an ingredient and then also for our fans out there is a my shot of life fun guys brewing collaboration in the works <laughs> uh so i'll just kick it off uh yes we have we've actually done a collaboration with one brewery and again it's uh collusion in my hometown okay. um part of that has been their generosity um we had a a, a sixthal of a it goes actually that we made for our grand opening and it was again Kelly. that that like stylistically yes we kind of hit a number of the marks like we do the percentage of uh wheat we did you know a little bit of uh, coriander and salt and uh, salt but then we fermented it with a brett strain so you know like we we stick to these kind of styles but then we're like but let's make it just like our, our twist on it and then we did uh camp with a uh dry hopped it whatever you know you consider it with chamomile so again it's by no means a traditional goes uh but it was fun you know and that's kind of how we see it and that's like again our name kind of plays into that we're gonna do what we have fun with like it's like yes beer can be serious you can have like people sit down and judge everything to a t where you can just like go somewhere and enjoy this thing that people put a lot of hard work into and it turns out like you can drink it and it tastes great and it you know makes you feel good and it brings like together people and all these kind of great things and uh so yeah there's not a particular brewery or beer that a brewer makes within the i guess in the county or um local that you, would be like, you know i I, I i i fanboy over kind of a uh bond brothers sour program 
They, okay. they like, they stick to their guns. Like, they, like, they have an idea, but then they, like, you know, I kind of think I saw it with Disenchantment. Um, they're, like, bottle release that got a whole bunch of recognition. Uh, like a silver somewhere for uh, sour, and it, it, it's a really great beer. Um, but the first beer that they released from that program was a Brett IPA. Very to style, very to like what they wanted to do. But then on the other end of things, they had a number of barrels, and they picked out ones that they thought went together, and they had their, their blend master work together a blend. And so to me, that's like, that's my favorite part of barrel aging. And uh, Patrick at Brewery Bavana, who's been extremely helpful to us too, um, awesome guy, makes probably one of my favorite beers in the town piglet it's a little grisette it's got so much flavor to it again that kind of like sour but nuanced and like but crushable you know it really hits all the things i've like talked about kind of time and time again in here is like it's just a great beer but like they do that too they have like ideas of beers that they want to do but then if it blends well with something else yeah we're gonna go down that that alley um and that's like the epitome of these barrel programs is like not just taking one beer and you're like well, we have eight barrels, one's not great, but we're still going to put it in and it's whatever. It's like, hey, well, this barrel's a little sour, so why don't we blend that in with something else that's, you know, a little bit maybe, you know, un under sour. You know, and that's what a really good barrel program does is they find a way to make these extremely unique beers while still, like, having this, like, kind of overall goal. And I don't act like I know that, like maybe Bond Brothers like was going for something else completely, mm -hmm. and this, they just knocked this one out of the park by accident. But I <laughs> I believe that they had a very like specific thing that they went through yeah. their their array of all their barrels. They make so many good beers. It's oh. it's hard it's right. hard to say that it was an accident. You know, no, and, and I by no means stuff. think. No, it I know was, you didn't. Yeah, I'm but... just saying that it is. You're right. It, they are so good at what they do. It's it's really hard to say that that would have been anything else but a fluke. Yeah, and or, and yeah. again, that's just this like passion just like i'm sure it took them hours upon hours to go through every barrel and say this is what we'd like this is what if we put it in with this maybe is going to take away from this overall character and that's like you know i don't want to say the hardest part about brewing because mm -hmm. that again is that's that's like the art side of things like a lot of brewing is science and a lot of brewing is cleaning but there is kind of this art to it and that's what i think blending is and so I think it'd be cool to do with either one of those some sort of sour because they they have an awesome sour program, um, but really like all these breweries do their own thing different and they all like do it so well that it's like I like like I think the guys at Nickel Point are awesome because they just like anything I have a question for they're just like yeah no yeah and, and like hey we'll come over and we'll look at your keg washer if this isn't working like we'll definitely help you out and like you know so like it's hard for me to like maybe name one mm -hmm. but like just because I want to do it I want to do sour so bad I would love to do a, one of okay. the people who have a program it's good to hear well uh, we can go ahead and start wrapping up and go through the rating process Vic do you want to rate the beers that we drank today yeah so we're just going to stick with the two tonight we're going to look at Sandbox Kid and Wicked Fog both New England style IPAs um, so we started off with the Sandbox Kid 7.2% mm -hmm. um, and we also had 6.2% was the Wicked Fog um, and I, would, I would say that the Sandbox Kid actually 
uh, tasted lighter than the Wicked Fog did. And, and that's like that's again like that funny part is like to me all signs would point to kind of the wicked fog like yeah. it has a little bit more flakes yeah, doesn't have that sweetness they're the same mash temperature this that and the other so besides like all signs to me would probably point towards sandbox kid but like wicked fog nails that yeah. i feel like it kind of yeah. has like a yeah. cre- creaminess to it mm-hmm. almost like and yeah that's like the oddly nuance. enough too i agreed with steven with the the wicked fog like almost as it warmed like as i was holding the glass it developed this new like mm-hmm. flavor it was it was good um, yeah i, 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 think I enjoyed I, both beers it wasn't bad it was like i was like okay is there's gotta be something more to this and then like like mm-hmm. you said you know as it warmed up i mean that's when it really came into fruition yeah. you know that was that was it so yeah the, so, uh, good to see that yeah so um the Sandbox Kid I had at a 4.4 and the Wicked Fox of 4... Wicked Fog 4.2. Um, I liked them both. I just felt like the Sandbox Kid was, as the kids say, crushable in a mm-hmm. way. It, it just, despite 7.2%, oh, yeah. I mean... It's just smooth. Yeah, I, I would... That's... Uh, and being an IPA, too, like, I can drink that on the beach like on a hot day mm-hmm. and not have any problems so that's that's my recommendation i feel like the wicked fog i'm hanging out at the bar chatting up some people you know and that's what i'm drinking and then you know you don't have to drink it all at once because yeah because you know it's gonna last right. exactly yeah, that's yeah. what i'm getting at yeah and then the, the sandbox kid you know you can bring it to a party or you can bring it to a cookout you know uh so i gave that sandbox <clears throat> sandbox kid a 3.8 still really good rating i thought it was a really good beer and the Wicked Fog, I settled with a 3.5. Still very above average, but again, a great beer. And whenever that, uh, when it got warmer, that's when the flavor came out. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. So overall, what you guys brought today, very successful. I, I enjoy it. You know, you guys crushed it. And Thank I you. hope you continue to crush it. You know, yeah. I look forward to going out and visiting and trying new beers. And it sounds like you guys are going to have different beers on tap as, you know, as the months progress. So we'll look forward to doing that. Yeah, thanks for having us on, guys. Yeah, and as uh, Sean Evans does, my idol uh, host of Hot Ones on YouTube, uh, we don't have cameras here, but that mic and that mic, <laughs> tell us what you got going on in your lives. What, what do you <laughs> want to plug? What uh, events do you have coming up? Beers that are coming out? What's uh, what's the plan for the, the well, future? Well, I could tell you a little about our events coming up. So we're actually planning... October Fest like food truck festival. Okay. So uh, basically gonna focus on not only just German style beers but featuring some German style beers like he said we're bringing up some lagers here in the upcoming weeks and just celebrating tr- the tradition you know kick off October Fest uh, celebration so that'll be September 22nd. Uh, we have some awesome food trucks uh, already lined up such as cockadoodle moo the tot spot crispy gyoza and we're also bringing in some dessert trucks like bourbon street beignets and jam ice cream other than that we have uh this thursday actually uh every first thursday we're gonna do trivia um with uh mr pueblo tacos they're gonna be there every first thursday with us um, like I said, it's the first Thursday coming up this Thursday, so from and 7 to 9, 7, nine, seven yeah. to nine um, we'll have that with Team Trivia. 
Uh, we also started doing charity events, as you mentioned, with the uh, environmental charity we did last month. That's going to be every third Friday, uh, where we just pick a charity or not-for-profit, okay. donate 10% of the draft and merchandise funds to that select organization, uh, basically just bring together people for a beer and then for a great cause and give back to the community. Other than that, uh, we're looking to start some different clubs going on soon, like a run club, bike club, dart club. Yes. So if anybody's interested, email us, funguysbrewing at gmail.com. Uh, we basically will start these gauging people's interest. If that's anything you guys are interested in, shoot us over an email. Uh, two last things we're going to plug. Uh, yeah. Growler Girls, we're doing a uh, tap take over there the last Friday or Where's that right. at? Uh, June 29th. June 29th. Um, and that's over in Durham, yeah. I believe, yeah. Um, they wanted us to kind of introduce ourselves that way, and I uh, have been looking forward to doing a tap takeover and getting to meet people uh, kind of on the other end of town. Um, so it's that's Growler Grills, right? I, girls? I think girls? it's going off okay. of girls, yeah. Okay. I did the spelling, I'm like, I'm not really, because it's G-R-L-Z. <laughs> yeah, um, I believe that's... She said, I believe that's what they're going for there. Okay. Um, and then um, we, so all of our birthdays are within a month of each other. Um, I've always wanted to do a blueberry beer. I, my family's gone to Maine oh, my whole yeah. life, and so yeah. I love blueberries. Uh, but they're not ready until the first week in, or last week in June, early July. Okay. Um, so I wanted local ones. That's a huge thing, mm -hmm. like I said, we want to do. Um, and so we, uh, we're going to be doing basically throwing ourselves a little bit of like a birthday weekend and uh, each of us are designing our own beer that we kind of wanted to have for our birthday nice. um, so I'm going to do some sort of blueberry I'm tossing back between like a kettle soured goza uh, or a um, like a, a milk sugar IPA um, somewhere between those two I'm not exactly sure what um, Carly's gonna be doing a double IPA uh, with some of her favorite hops um, and then Nick is We've thrown around a couple different ideas, but yeah, to... but uh, it's going to be a uh, American pale wheat beer uh, okay. with um, kind of goes off of one of my favorite summer drinks, which is a raspberry lime ricky. So uh, raspberry, you know, raspberries and some lime peel as mm -hmm. well to you know really bring that out, along with uh, some lime forward hops like uh, Matueka, for example, okay. um, to really just push that extra lime zest flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's and so that uh, I think it's like the third week, the weekend or the week of July nineteenth. That week, we're trying to get a whole bunch of different like events. We're not sure exactly okay. what, but uh, throw ourselves a bit of a birthday party. Not <laughs> not literally, but like I kind guess. of the beers we've always wanted to brew, kind of outside of what we normally. We do. should have like a nice pun for each one of the beers with your names. <laughs> in. Yeah. yeah, we we do try to like our names are weird. Like, they're not, like, besides Fun Guys Heft, like, they're all very, like, like Ratchet Snacks or, yeah. like, Sandbox Kid. Like, you really don't know what necessarily you're getting just by the name. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of, like, no, they're not all punny, but they are all kind of, like, they do have a story behind them, at least. And, um, but, yeah, we just like to, yeah, it'll be funny to see what we come out with those, because... Like, some of them are just, like, we, we have a blonde coming out that we talk about as, like, our fishing beer. And so we call it Tackle Box Essentials. Okay. Because nice. uh, it's just, like, 
you're going to fish and you need a beer. Like, yeah. you, you, you just need that. So, yeah. So, you know, that's like, we get some sort of inspiration from all of our names, but, uh, yeah, those will have to be definitely unique since they're for each of ours. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. We'll we'll be there to check him out. All right. I will. Uh, one of my other cousins <laughs> lives in the area, and he went to Duquesne as well. So nice. we've got a, a whole crew down here. Um, <laughs> so we appreciate you guys coming out, joining us tonight. Remember, uh, listeners, it is funguysbrewing.com if you want to check them out. They're over on Paula Street. It's off of Wake Forest Road, uh, north-ish Raleigh area, uh, so not too far from downtown. Check them out. Uh and like and listen to the podcast give us a follow on instagram as well as uh twitter we've got a soundcloud out there and check out our website at myshotoflife.com um go ahead and listen to us on itunes where we have uh, a rating system which would be wonderful if you give us a rating out there helps drive our exposure and the exposure of our guests as well so definitely Go out, give it a listen, give their beer a try, and uh, check them out on Untapped. All right, again, thanks for coming out. Uh, We appreciate everyone listening. Um, We hope that everyone drinks responsibly, and always remember, drinks are better with friends.